The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go Beyond Reality. Good evening, good morning, and welcome. It's Beyond Reality Radio, the Memorial Day edition. Welcome, everybody. It's going to be a great program tonight. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. I just want to start off by saying that the contributions of our men and women in uniform can't be overstated, and particularly those who paid the ultimate price so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we have here in our country. Uh, That's what today is about. Uh, I feel weird saying Happy Memorial Day, but maybe there is something to be happy about. Um, Maybe we deserve to be and we should be happy because those who made that ultimate sacrifice did it so that we could be happy. So um, I'll say Happy Memorial Day, but I hope you took a moment to uh, respect and honor those who paid the ultimate price which is what Memorial Day is about. So I um, hope everybody had an opportunity at least to spend it with friends and family and, and relax a little bit. And uh, now you're all wound up so we can have a great program tonight. We're going to be talking about uh, a couple of different things because we have three people on the show throughout the course of the night. In the first hour, we've got Scott Walter. He's been on the program before. He's a forensic geologist. He's also host of a television show, called America Unearthed. It's on the Travel Channel. And we're going to talk about the new season of that program um, that's coming up, I what, the 28th? So I guess, oh, in fact, if you're on the East Coast, it is the 28th. So uh, that'll be starting tonight. And Scott will be talking about what's coming up in the new season of America Unearthed. I think it's the second season for that program. But he'll be on in the first hour of the show. And then in the second hour of the show, we're going to be talking about high strangeness. Now, I just asked um, my producer, Orion, what that meant completely, and he's a little unsure, and I'm a little unsure, but we do know that Chad and Alta Dillard have experienced a lot of very, very strange things throughout the course of their lives, including UFO encounters, time anomalies, alien implant experiences, and much, much more. Bigfoot, ghost uh, encounters, Uh, they've experienced much of that. Uh, throughout their lives together, and they're going to be talking about it. And they wrote a book called Orbducted in the French Quarter about many of those experiences. So Chad and Alta Diller will be on in the second hour of the show talking about those experiences with us. Um, Later in the week, some great shows coming up, as always. I know I always say that, but I look at these guest lists, and I know they're going to be great programs. Tomorrow night, Eric Altman will join us. Eric is a cryptozoologist. He's specifically uh, an expert in the search for Bigfoot. And the reason he's joining us on the program is there's a a weekend coming up. uh, It's this next weekend, actually. It's the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Camping Adventure. It's a three-day event, and it's sold out. At least uh, the the bulk of it is. I know they have some ancillary events that you might be able to get in on. But we're going to talk about this event. What prompts people to take a three-day camping adventure in Pennsylvania, hunting for Bigfoot. Uh, Eric Altman will answer those questions tomorrow night on the program. Wednesday, Stephen Flowers. He's an author and a scholar, and we'll be talking about Nazi occultism and the shadowy secret king of Germany, Karl Maria Villegat. That's Wednesday night's program. Thursday, a couple of different guests joining us. We've got Cassandra Snow in the first hour of the program. Uh, we're going to be talking about her new book called Querying the Tarot. We, that's a reschedule. We had to reschedule Cassandra 
but she's a tarot card reader, teacher, and a writer. And then in the second hour of the show, Chris James, he's an author and a paranormal researcher, will be talking about his new book called Laredo Paranormal Research. So uh, a lot of stuff coming up on the show. As you can see, we've got a great week ahead of us. And um, in the meantime, we are less than two weeks away now from this great event coming up in Framingham, Massachusetts, known as Scaricon. And if you haven't gone to the website, you need to do that just to see what it's all about. You're probably tired of hearing me talk about it, but I'm not tired about, of telling you about it because it's really fantastic. Framingham, Massachusetts, right near Boston. Uh, there'll be celebrities. There'll be vendors. There will be film screenings all weekend long. There will be panel discussions. Uh, parties it's it's just a weekend filled with a lot of great stuff particularly if you're a fan of horror films or paranormal entertainment all of that stuff will be part of the weekend and it's family friendly and we invite everybody to to uh, join us again check it out scaricon.com all right we have a busy night ahead of us again our first guest will be scott walter so we'll take a break we'll get him ready and we will be back to start our discussion it's beyond reality radio Hey, it's JV here. You know I've asked for your support in the past, and I'm going to do it again because it's really, really important. And there are a couple of ways you can support the show, and it's so inexpensive. Now, you can go to Patreon, and you can become a Patreon supporter, and we really, really encourage that. But there's also another way. If you look at the description of the podcast, if you're a podcast listener, and you scroll down to the bottom, there's a way to support the show directly through the podcast app. And it's only 99 cents a month. It's less than a buck. You probably have that change in your couch right now. That dollar a month less than a dollar goes a long way in helping us produce this program provide great interviews for you during the course of the week i thank you in advance because the support is so important to the program when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply like I said, we've got um, a couple of hours of different guests. In our second hour of the program, Chad and Alta Dillard will be with us to talk about their high strangeness, UFO experiences, time anomalies, alien implants, uh, and much, much more. They're going to talk about all of that in the second hour of the show. But in our first hour, we've got a returning guest with us tonight, Scott Walter. He's a forensic forensic geologist. He's also host of a television program on the travel channel called america unearthed scott welcome back to beyond reality radio great to have you here again thanks jv i'm glad to be here and uh, looking forward to having some fun yeah so you must be pretty excited you've got uh, i guess what it's, it's it's actually if you're on the east coast it's the 28th of may so is it tonight that the uh, the oh, new season tomorrow premieres? night um tuesday night 10 o'clock uh, uh eastern standard time nine o'clock central and yeah, we're excited. It's 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 great to be back. We had a got almost a four year hiatus, and uh, I feel like we've been resurrected. So it's it's uh, it's great. Four years hiatus. Did that give you some time to recharge and maybe kind of do a little bit of research as to where you wanted to go next? Well, yes. I mean, it was it wasn't necessarily planned. We were. Um, <laughs> Actually, things were going quite well with uh, with History Channel. We did three seasons of America on Earth, and 
Um, ratings were great, and uh, the show was number one at the time on, on H2, and and we were getting set for season four, and then they, they sold the channel, <laughs> which uh, was kind of weird because all of a sudden we didn't have a home, and, um, you know, they uh, they decided not to bring us over to big history, and um, honest to God, my agent told me the reason was they said, your show's too smart for history. Mm. And I said, really? <laughs> and I, um, you know, I, we, obviously we were very disappointed, but um, we felt like, well, we, we finished out on top, and if we're going to go, what, you know, that's that's about the best way to go out. And I was ready. I went back to my job, which I never left, but obviously I continued the research, and, you know, I, I had actually more time to work on it. And some amazing things happened during that time. And then last last year at about this time, I got a call and they said, "Travel Channel would like to like to uh, to reboot America on Earth. Are you interested?" And I said, "Absolutely." So, so here we are. Uh, tomorrow's the premiere and ten episodes, and I think they're really good. Now, if so, if uh, someone was new to the show, how would you describe it for them? Well, we investigate historical mysteries. Um, from a geological standpoint, I think would probably be the best way um, to describe it. And, you know, being a forensic geologist, you know, that's the slant that we, we approach things from. And it's really unique in that way because, you know, there, there's been lots of programs where you've had archaeologists and um, people in, in that vein, but really not from a geological standpoint. And, you know, when you stop and think about it, archaeology is tailor-made for geology in many ways because the artifacts they're pulling out of the, out of the, the ground, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, the earth, which is what we study in geology, many of them are made of rocks. Uh, pottery is fired from clay, which is rock. And so, you know, there's really a lot that we can bring to the party. And at the same time, I don't want to pretend like I'm an archaeologist because I respect that as its own science, but what I really hope to accomplish, and I think we we do a pretty good job of in the show, is collaboration of disciplines. When I need archaeologists, I'll consult with them. If I need people um, with other areas of expertise, we will call on them. I mean, I know enough to be extremely dangerous about some of these other <laughs> things, but I don't want to pretend like I'm something I'm not, right? As you... Uh progress through seasons of this program um this is going to be your first season on travel channel but what would you say the fourth season or this will be the fifth season total this will be the fourth season fourth season yeah um where do the mysteries come from are these things that you've researched yourself or where do you find the the places that you want to go (laughs) that's a great question i get asked that all the time and really what it is is a combination some of the episodes uh, that we uh, investigate, the topics are, are what I call my stuff or the things that, that you know, I've been writing in my books and, and been researching that fit into this whole uh, forensic geology um, uh, area. And then the production company, Committee Films, who we are back with them again and I'm really excited about that. Uh, you know, they come up with ideas, and the network comes up with ideas. And, and a lot of the, the ideas come from 
people that send in tips, people that have contacted me or the production company uh, with ideas. In fact, this opening episode was somebody who had contacted me four years ago, and we were going to do that episode four years ago, and unfortunately, the person that called in passed away about a year and a half ago. So his son has uh, has picked up the torch and is carrying it for his father, and it's really a, a neat story. And, and it's great to get tips from people because, um, you know, we can't find everything, and people are coming across interesting stories all the time. And, um, you know, if uh, if we think we can make a difference, we'll... We'll, we'll investigate. How much of what we know to be, or what we think we know to be American history, or maybe even North American history, mm-hmm. is uh, kind of being called into question by the work you're doing? I would say uh, a, a good chunk of it. Um, you know, starting with, you know, the narrative uh, of, of Columbus, which, you know, is, is laughable in, in many ways, at least to me, because first of all, the guy never set foot on the continent that right. already had millions of people living here. I, I don't know how you can discover something that you never, you never saw. Um, I, I guess you could say down in uh, Central America, in Panama, and, and and the islands down in the Caribbean would count. But you know, he, he never set foot on on what is now mainland uh, uh, United States. So. So that in itself really is sort of a metaphor for what's wrong with, with many pieces of our history. Of course, we know that the Vikings were here a thousand years ago, and I personally find it laughable to think that, you know, according to, to the historical narrative, after the Vikings were here at Lonson Meadows, nothing happened for 500 years until Chris. I mean, think about that. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me there was a lot that was going on just because we we don't know about it yet and we're just finding out about it now doesn't mean that it didn't happen and of course there were cultures before that that were here and and that's what we're we're you know we're starting to learn about now what would you say is some of the strongest evidence you've looked at a lot of things but if you had to you know pick the top two or three things what is the strongest evidence that supports the idea that the Vikings were here a thousand years ago? Well, you know, Lots of Meadows is, is, I mean, nobody doubts Lots of Meadows anymore, but if you want to talk about some of the artifacts that I think are absolutely 100% genuine, I mean, my top three would be the Kensington Runestone, and of course, along with that, um, the same group of people carved the Spirit Pond runestones, the Narragansett runestone, built the Newport Tower, um, carved the Westford Knight, carved the, car- the Westford Boatstone, and there are other artifacts that are likely attributed to them. You also have the, um, the Tucson lead artifacts down in, in Tucson, Arizona. Those things are absolutely 100% genuine. They date back to the 9th and 10th centuries. I mean, uh, those are incredible. And, and then you have the Bat Creek Stone, which was found in a, uh, a Cherokee Native American uh, burial mound, and the Smithsonian Institute screwed up on that one. They thought it was a Paleo-Cherokee inscription, and it wasn't for another nearly a century that they realized it was Paleo-Hebrew, dating back to the first century. So, I mean, those 
you know, they pulled it out themselves. They published it. They just didn't know what it was. If they had known what it was, it, <laughs> I can guarantee it never would have seen the light of day. What got you interested in this type of work? This isn't the type of thing that you just wake up one morning and decide you're going to go do. You you have to have a passion for it and a curiosity. Where'd you get yours from? Well, it, it all started back in July of 2000 when I was um, approached by the, the Runestone Museum in Alexandria, Minnesota to study the Kensington Runestone. And I had never heard of it. I, I didn't know anything about it. And I was a little bit embarrassed because it, it, it's quite well known. It was very well known, certainly in Minnesota at that time. Um, and all I can say is I must have missed school that day because I didn't know what they were talking about. And so I, you know, I heard their, um, you know, what, what they told me about it. And I, I stopped them pretty quickly. And I said, hey, look, I'll be happy to do this work for you, but you need to understand I may come back and give you news you're not going to like. And you're still going to pay me. <laughs> Because that's the beautiful thing about the work I do. I get paid either way. Sure. And I often give people bad news. They they just they want to know the answer. We do the analysis. We follow the evidence trail. And the results are the results. So so that's what I did with the runestone. And uh, after doing a, um, uh, a weathering study using tombstones, I concluded that it was hundreds of years old, and therefore it had to be genuine. And at that point, I thought, well, good for them. They got one, and uh, I was ready to move on with my life. And that's when <laughs> the problem started, that I was criticized and attacked, and, and I was very confused because right, I so thought hold, to myself, hold, well, you know, I don't have a problem if people have questions Scott, about hold it. Yeah, hold it right there, Scott. Sorry, we got to go to break. We'll pick it up on the other side. It's Beyond Reality Radio. Did you know that online retailers like Amazon have constant deals that can save you money on the things you buy every day? It's no joke. Save 40%, 50%, even 80% on great products. And all you have to do is know about them. Noodle Shark is the way to be alerted when something good is coming your way. Noodle Shark is the social media page that lists great deals that not only save you money, but give you the deals before anyone else has them. All you have to do is find Noodle Shark on Facebook. Search it as The Noodle Shark. That's The Noodle Shark. Because you deserve to save too. Become a shark and save welcome back to the program it's beyond reality radio i'm your host jv johnson our guest this first hour is scott walter forensic geologist he's also the host of a television show america unearthed now on the travel channel as the new season gets underway scott i interrupted you because we had to jump to break there but you were talking about how you got involved with this you talked about the kensington runestone and how you validated it verified that it was um, legitimate, it was uh, original, and then you started to get ridiculed for that position. Pick it up where you left off. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I started to get uh, this pretty strong negative feedback, and like I said, I don't mind if people have questions, and I'll be happy to answer them because, you know, I if I made a mistake, I'll, I'll fix it, right? But that's that's not what it was about. They... They just didn't like the answer, and so you know. At first, I was confused, and then and then I got pissed, and uh, I decided I'm going to get to the bottom of this and find out what is going on. And that's when I dug into the language, the runes, the dialect, the grammar. I took five trips over to Scandinavia, and I reasoned that if the uh, rock told me that it was authentic which it did, and by the way, I trust rocks. I don't always trust people. 
um, rocks don't have agendas or egos or <laughs> good days and bad days. They're, they're very reliable. That meant that the entire inscription had to be medieval, and sure enough, we found everything. So um, by using logic and, and scientific method, we, we have figured out that this is an authentic artifact. And, of course, the next thing is who carved it, where did they come from, and why did they come all the way here to the center of the continent? And in this new book that I'm I'm uh, about to <laughs> about to publish, I answer all those questions, and I think we've we've got it figured out. Um, and I have to say that the Kensington runestone was the start of it, and um, I'm still working on it here, 18 years later, and I think I'm finally getting to the bottom of this well, and it, it's it's. It's incredible. It's just a great story, and it's our story, and um, it's going to uh, it's going to surprise people. I think. Now, the the uh, premiere episode of uh, America Unearthed for this new season on Travel Channel, you're going to be talking about some Viking artifacts. What can you tell us about that? <laughs> well, <clears throat> the episode is called uh, Vikings in the Desert. And in many ways, that, that's kind of an oxymoron, right? I mean, right. What, are, what are Vikings <laughs> doing in the desert? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I have to admit, I was, I was a little bit skeptical when I went into this episode, but I always try to keep an open mind. And sure enough, um, I don't want to give away the episode, but I will tell you that it starts right off with a bang, and it just keeps going. And I think people will be surprised. I think they will enjoy it. You're going to see some amazing places, and we do some pretty, uh, pretty amazing things. And I think it's a good episode. I think you'll, I think people really enjoy it. You, um, you know, you've been doing the show for a while now. Like you said, you took a bit of a hiatus, but but you still have a lot of episodes under your belt. What do you like best about doing the show? And what do you like best about the the process of bringing something like this to television? Well, you know, JB, there's a lot of things that I I, I like about it. I mean. I enjoy traveling for one thing. My my dad was an airline pilot, so I flew a lot as a kid growing up, and um, I just love going to different places and seeing new things. And I I enjoy traveling with the crew. Uh, they're wonderful, talented people that we just have a great time together. I I get to meet some interesting people. Uh, some of them are famous. Some some of them are just everyday people that that are doing some amazing things. But I have to tell you one thing that probably is more rewarding than anything, and it just happened a couple of days ago. Janet and I went to a a Minnesota Twins baseball game. We finally got some good weather here, and uh, Saturday we went to the ball game. And we went about an hour early because we wanted to, you know, walk around, see the stadium, and and, uh, grab something to eat and just, just have a, it's just a beautiful day. And we started talking to one of the ushers for a while, and then he got busy with somebody else. And this, this family, I didn't notice they were waiting for me. And this little girl came up and she said, are you Scott Walter? And I said, yes. And she started jumping up and down. She was all excited. And she said, oh, I love your show. I think it's great. And I hear you're coming back. And, and she must have been about 12 or 13. And her father came up and said, you know, Scott, um, we love your show, and it's because of you that our daughter has taken an interest in science. Mm. And she looked at me and she said, oh, yes, she goes, I'm going to be a geologist. I love science. I love archaeology, and it's because of your show. And 
you know something? I mean, I think of all the things that we're trying to do and, you know, get these historical truths over the goal line and, and, and more people to understand that the history is not necessarily what we thought, but to have young people be inspired and want to go into geology, archaeology, and study science. Um, now more than ever, I just think that's really important. And and if, if, that's, if that's the only thing that comes out of this, it, it was all worth it. Well, that's a great point. I mean, we often talk about uh, the the effort to get to the moon as being an inspiration for children to take up mathematics or or science or or, or uh, physics or you know any of these disciplines. And we've seemed to have lost that motivation in some fashion as a nation. And any time we can find a source for that uh, motivation, it's it's something to be applauded. So um, I understand completely what you're talking about, and that's got to be very rewarding for you. It is, and you know, I've I've also gotten letters from um, you know kids and and you know junior high students, college students, high school students. Um, you know, a, a lot of people have said I really admire what you're doing, and and I want to do the same thing, and and I I just think it's great, and I'm, I couldn't be happier. And like I said, if that's that's all that comes out of this, then you know we were successful. You also spent some time studying the, I think it was something to do with the 9-11 attacks on the Pentagon, right? We did. We did. Um, Eleven days after the attack, I received a call from uh, from the government, and they said, uh, you have been assigned to the Pentagon. And it was it was one of the strangest experiences, because I'm normally out there trying to hustle work, right? <laughs> Yeah. And, um, you know, to have, you know, this happen was really, um, was a great thing. And, and, of course, you know, we all remember what happened that day and how yeah. horrible it was and how frustrating it was. And, you know, and, and part of it was, you know, you wanted to do something to help. You wanted to try to, to help in some way. And and we were able to do that. And And our job was to... Uh, forensically examine all the fire-damaged steel-reinforced concrete uh, beams and columns that had been impacted by the the jet fuel fire after the after the attack and and it was really an amazing experience it's it's one of the largest jobs we've ever ever had and um, you know it was 24 7 all hands on deck and um, you know, I'm really proud of that work. I think of all the things I've done in my life, that's probably what I'll be remembered for above all else. And if and that's okay with me, too. <laughs> there are a couple of uh, episodes coming up in this new season of America on Earth that are particularly of interest. They all are interesting, but there's two kind of stood out to me as really appropriate for some of the discussions we have on this particular program. One of them is Alien Artifacts. Yes. Did you yes. did you uncover something that might indicate there were aliens here uh, long ago? <laughs> well, you know me. I don't want to be a buzzkill <laughs> on the episode, but um, I will be quite frank with you. You know, I've always been kind of a skeptic when it comes to, to aliens and Bigfoot and some of these types of things, uh, probably more than anything because it's something I've just never really looked at. It's just so foreign to me as far as my everyday world of looking at rocks and concrete and doing 
forensic investigations. But, you know, it, it goes back to the same thing that I, I say all the time. You know, I ask people to be open-minded about the Runestone and the other investigations that we do. Turnabout's fair play. So I decided I was going to go into it with an open mind. And in both cases, I was surprised at what I saw. And this alien episode, artifacts episode that you're going to see, um, I, I, I don't want to tip my hand, but I will tell you this, you are going to be surprised. I was really surprised, and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> you're, you're, you're wetting some appetites, I can tell you well, that. Well, I'll tell you, um, like I said, you know, this is an area that I, you know, wasn't that interested in. I, 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 I blew it off because I really hadn't studied it. But now that I've really taken the time to look into this particular topic, um, my eyes are wide open. Wow. Um, one of the other episodes that really caught my attention is the Ripper Unmasked. Now, anytime you start talking about Jack the Ripper, you're talking about a case that has befuddled investigators for a century and a half. And, uh, I mean, as you opened, you know, the curtain on this particular case, what did you see behind that curtain? And uh, is the is the episode going to give us some new information? Absolutely, it will. Um, and this episode was, um, was a tip that came in from uh, a couple of physicians, uh, a father-son team who uh, live in uh, Long Island and very bright guys who looked at this, actually didn't look specifically at the Ripper, but were looking at a particular individual who I'm not going to say who it is, but it is a name that you will recognize. And um, a person who they were, you know, kind of looking at from a completely different angle. And based on some of the, uh, a lot of their research was as physicians, they were looking at the victims and what had happened to the victims, what the Ripper had done to them, uh, to their bodies. And they saw some things that they thought um, pointed them in the direction that the perpetrator uh, had to have been a Freemason. And I am a Freemason. So when I started to hear them tell me about things, actually, they didn't even realize some of the things that they were telling me. And unfortunately, because of the oaths I took, I was unable to tell them about what they were telling me, the importance of it. So in any case, um, this has a Masonic thread to it, which I certainly am well prepared to, uh, to deal with. And I think you're you're going to be surprised when you see that episode as well. I mean, I never thought I'd be looking at Jack the Ripper, um, but I thought, well, God, that's been done to death, right? Well, we have a whole new angle, a whole new uh, suspect, and I think we make a very compelling case. You also have a book coming out. Uh, I think it comes out in June, so it's pretty uh, right around the corner, uh, called Crypt, right, Cryptic, right. Yeah, Cryptic Code of the Templars in America. Uh, tell us a little bit about that book. Well, actually, I've been working on this book for, God, it's been eight years now. Or, excuse me, five years. Uh, my last book, Akhenanda, the Founding Fathers, came out in 2013. So, 
um, yeah, it's about almost six years now. But um, there are some really big revelations that are in this book. And quite frankly, three of the biggest revelations that I present in this book could be a standalone book all by themselves. And I'm not kidding. But the cryptic code um, has to do with an experience that I had in one of the degrees uh, of the York Wright degree system that I have gone through. And it absolutely connected to the Kensington Runestone. And what it made me realize, and and when I say connected, I'm talking (laughs) like you can't believe connected. Um, And and what it helped me to understand was that most of the Kensington Runestone inscription, which has confounded scholars for over 120 years now, um, is not to be taken literally. In other words, most of the inscription is allegory. And I would never have understood this until I became a Freemason, where we are taught how to understand and, and read allegory and, and, and when we see it. And sure enough, it turns out that, that much of the inscription is allegory. However, like the rituals in Freemasonry, there is real historical truth embedded within them. The difficult part is figuring out what's real and what's allegory. Right. And what does the allegory mean? And um, what's, what's fascinating is that the real part of the inscription, first and foremost, it's a land claim. And secondly, it gives directions to a place of great importance. And I'll just leave it at that. Wow. Um, it's It's... It's amazing. It it really is amazing, and it ties in with other historical events. Some people will know, some people will not know, but it's it's a really really good story. Call me biased, JV, but I, I'm telling <laughs> you, it's a good story. <laughs> I believe you. If you say it, I believe it. Okay, we just got about a minute here left with you, Scott. Uh, the 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 program, uh, the new season. Big airs tonight. I know you say it's tomorrow night, but for me, because it's the twenty eighth here, right? It's the twenty eighth that it airs. We're on the east that's coast, correct. so that's correct. It's kind of tonight for us, even though I hope. Oh it gets... yeah, you were already after midnight. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, very good. So that airs tonight. So, um, you know, again, that's on the Travel Channel. Give us the time, and then also, where can people get a hold of the book when it comes out in June? All right. Well, um, the uh, the show will premiere on Travel Channel ten o'clock. Uh, Eastern Time, 9 o'clock Central, and um, one hour, and uh, it's Vikings in the Desert. It'll be a great episode. And my new book, Cryptic Code of the Templars in America, Origins of the Hooked X Symbol, you can, you can, of course, you can get it on Amazon, but you, if you want a signed copy, you can go to my website, www.hookedx.com, H-O-O-K-E-D-X.com, and uh, if you're interested in engaging us uh, about the episodes, you can go to my blog site, uh, which is www.scottwalteranswers.blogspot.com. Scott, thanks so much for coming back on the program. It's always a pleasure to have you here. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Let's do it again soon. Uh, we've got a great second hour of the program lined up. We have Chad and Alta Dillard joining us. They're authors of a book called Orbducted in the French Quarter. 
They've had many, many paranormal experiences. In fact, they call it all high strangeness. We'll be talking about their experiences, which include UFOs, aliens, ghosts, shapeshifters, alien implants, cryptids, and much, much more. That's all uh, ahead in our discussion with Chad and Alta Dillard. Uh, Before we do that, though, uh, be sure to stop by our Facebook page, Beyond Reality Radio on Facebook. Just give that a like. It keeps you up to date on what we've got going on here on the show. You can also visit the website. It's Beyond Reality Radio on the website. And uh, stop by the YouTube channel. It's uh, JV Johnson on YouTube. We stream the show live there. Plus, there's an archive of programs and other programming material all on uh, YouTube at JV Johnson. So check all that out. Our guests for the second part of our show tonight, Chad and Alta Dillard, they have written a book called Orbducted in the French Quarter. They've had many, many experiences they're going to talk about with us tonight. UFO experiences, time anomalies, alien implants, and much, much more. Let's welcome to the program Chad and Alta. Welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. Great to have you here. Uh, Great to be here. Thank you so much. Yes, thanks so much. So tell us a little bit about yourselves. It seems as though your uh, journey of high strangeness began when the two of you met. Uh, I'm not sure who best to ask this question of, but tell us how it all started for you. Well, Chad's pointing at me, so I'll take the lead (laughs) on this and kind of frame it as quickly as I can. First of all, I'm 10 years older than Chad. I also am from the Southwest originally, and... uh, To hear my mother tell it, um, she's passed on since, but the few times that I remember her ever making the comment, she indicated that apparently when I was a baby, about six months old, the only passenger in the car with her, excuse me, while she's driving across the desert, and I don't know any more information other than what I'm sharing right now, she indicated that there was an encounter uh, with a, a small craft she claims came out of the sky literally and stopped her or was on the road with her or stopped her on the road. As I've said this in the past, I've never, I I was so embarrassed when that topic would come up. It wasn't very often and it was so embarrassing to me that I thought she was crazy and I would, you know, scamper out of the room as quickly as I could. So I never got any more information and I tried very hard never to deal with that subject. Um, Moving along, I also have a lot of mystery in, in, in my past as well. And I borrowed the term high strangeness years ago, and usually that's how I equate all of this. Uh, now, if we will, we'll move forward to about 1990. My mom has moved to Little Rock, Arkansas, and she had moved there in the 70s late 70s. I had moved there with her. I was coming in and out of the state periodically. I'd never married. I'd never had children. And uh, I happened to be back visiting and then basically moving back to Arkansas in around 1990. And this is when I used the term arranged. To me, there's no doubt. I've never had doubt that Chad and I were arranged in 1990, in Arkansas. He happens to be from Arkansas. Um, He is, uh, as I said, 10 years younger than I am, and we both ended up in a location that neither one of us had ever been to before on Valentine's night. 
I like to think, you know, that something's got a, at least a good sense of humor. It was Valentine's night yeah. on this arrangement. And uh, if I might, just to add, you know, to more of the curiosity, a whole lot involved in all of this. But within 24 hours of Chad and I, as I say, being arranged or meeting, we discovered that his grandfather and I share the same first name, Alta, and uh, my mother's last name. And once we discovered that, that was just too big for my understanding. I still can't comprehend it. And um, so a whole lot to what I claim is that arrangement. Now we will fast forward to 1995. Chad and I married, sorry, a year later in 1991. And then fast forward now to 1995. My mom has moved to, now she's a widow, and she's not in the best of health. We're also mixed native blood, and she has moved from Arkansas now to Louisiana. Uh, some folks owned a large acreage in Louisiana and invited her to come and live on their property. They had a couple of homes on the property. It was very large. And they were involved in tourism as well as education with children. They had a, a petting zoo. They had a Native, uh, a Native American kind of uh, village set up, and it was an educational um, opportunity. So my mom was asked to come there. She's considered an elder in that regard, so she accepted that. Chad and I were living in another state. She invited us to come there as well. I had been raised of the Native traditions with my mom. I had all my regalia all my life and been part of, you know, traditional dancing and so on. So Chad and I accepted this invitation. That's what brought us to Louisiana. At that time, we're living in a place called, what's well, outside of an area called Hammond, Louisiana, which is about an hour out of New Orleans. Um, I'll have Chad because he speaks very well. I'll have him kind of take this over now. This was our first, um, together, our first experience with with a UFO, yeah. a massive craft in the sky. And I'll have Chad describe what he saw, because I saw it very briefly and turned my head away, and I wouldn't look again. Yeah, we yeah. were coming into town. Hold on, a, Chad. Uh, Chad, well, hold on one second. Before we get into that, I just have a couple of questions about what Alta just said. Um, you said, and you're very, very convinced that that your meeting and your eventual marriage was arranged. Um, and I can understand why you would use that word. However, who do you think was responsible for the arrangement? Or what? Right. 29 years later... Still a huge question mark in my mind. Do you think it's a spiritual arrangement? Do you think it was an alien arrangement? Do you think it was something other than the, either of those two things? Again, from my standpoint, I have still I love Chad, and I I you know from that perspective, I'm very grateful. I have tremendous gratefulness inside of myself. But as far as the who, how. Uh, why I'm still with huge question marks. Mm -hmm. So when you say you feel it was arranged, you don't have a sense of, I mean, the reason I'm asking this question is because if this was, if this is something that 
there was an alien hand involved. That's completely different than, say, a spiritual type arrangement. And I know a lot of your experiences from that point on, and we're going to be talking about them, were alien in nature. So that's 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 kind of what I'm trying to get to the bottom of. It sounds like you may not have a sense one way or the other. I've just never, personally, just, just my my person has never used the word alien. Uh, my reference has always been beings. Okay, well, uh, well I, I don't, I don't, mean, I don't mean to throw it off by the word. Um, sure. I guess I'm just trying to figure out if, if what we're about to talk about uh, these experiences that you have, they're, they're implants experiences, they're UFO experiences, and you even right. said that your mother had a UFO experience uh, when you were right. quite small. So, do you think? When you use the word arranged for you and Chad, is was there being or, and I'll use the word alien, and I'm not sure if it's right. the right word, but do you, is, were, were those forces at play here that brought you two yes, together to experience these yes. things? Or do you think it was more of a spiritual type thing? No, they were absolutely, in my, particularly in the beginning of the, the night of the arrangement or our meeting, I was involved with a couple of, they were too handsome for words, men, uh, or at least that was their appearance in human form, extremely handsome to the extreme, one blonde and one very dark-haired. The blonde claimed to be the private pilot for the other man's private plane. Now, you know, not adding, not, not trying to be teaser with any of this, just that was, what seemed to be, they seemed to be very much involved in helping me get to a location that I would meet Chad Interesting. on that night. Yeah, and that was Valent- uh, Valentine's Day. That's right, 1990 Valentine's Day. 1990. Um, okay, Chad, so let's pick that story back up. You were about to tell us about your first encounter. Um, and go ahead and, and tell that story. We've got about uh, five minutes here left in this segment. Yeah, we were coming into town. Uh, we get a, a, kind of around these this group of trees. We look up in the sky, and this craft was just enormous. It was it just took up the whole sky, and the, it, it was still pretty light outside. Uh, three or four lights in the front, three or four lights in the back. It's on the right hand side of the road, on the passenger side of the road, and you know we both look up at it, so. You know, I know that, she, you know, Alta seeing it also, you know, that I'm not seeing things. And she looks at me, I look back up at it, and, you know, with, you know, you would think that we'd be going, oh, you know, and all this. But we, I was like, well, she didn't look at it again, you know. And me, I just, like, focused my, uh, my... Uh, eyes back on the road, you know, since I was driving, and I was like, okay, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, if I don't, if I don't notice it, if I don't see it, they won't know I saw it. Why did you automatically have that reaction? Why was it, and I don't know if fear is the right word to describe it, but why did you feel you needed to avoid it? I guess it was kind of like my brain exploded. You know, this was something that was foreign, and, yeah, I guess it just kind of freaked me out. And, you know, I just, I was like, okay, you know, that didn't happen. You know, I just want to put that out. And, you know, if that would have been our only um, experience, you know, throughout our 
life, I probably, we probably would have never talked about it. But, you know, later on in life, you know, later on, we had... How long, how long Chad, how long would you say that encounter lasted, despite whether or not you were actually looking at it or trying to ignore it or whatever? How long do you remember that craft being above you as you were traveling? Mm, like a minute or two. Did you ever feel like it was either A, interested in you, following you, trying to um, somehow capture you? Did you ever have any of that sense? You know, like I, like I said, you know, I, I, I focused my attention back onto the road. And, and again, in my mind, it was like, okay, you know, if I don't acknowledge them, they won't know I saw them. So, you know, it kind of did have, you know, something, you know, in my back of my mind saying that, you know, some people maybe report, they did know. Yeah, some people report with those types of encounters, they report a difference in the air, you know, maybe an electrical charge or, or, or lights actually beaming down upon their car or their person if, they, if they're not in a car. Did you have any of that happen? So this, and there were other people. There were other people on the road with mm-hmm. us, and you know, I never saw anybody pulling over or looking up in the sky, yeah. or you know, well, you know a, it was nothing like that. And it was an it was obvious. You saw it. It was obvious. It wasn't like it was kind of a shadow, and you just happened to catch it right, so you could see it, and others might not notice it. Right. No, this was. I mean, a clear sky. You know, again, it was. It hadn't gotten dark yet. You know, it was still pretty light outside. So, yeah, it was very obvious. And it was just huge. And it was below cloud level. It wasn't like 1,000, you know, or, you know, 100,000 feet in the sky. You know, it was closer. Yeah, and so you tried to focus on the road and just keep driving. What happens next? Uh, We go on to dinner that night. Uh, We never spoke about it got up the next morning, and the only reason that we did bring it back up is that there were reports of strange objects in the sky from other people that we heard on, like, the news. Oh, so the media got a hold of it as well. So other people had seen seen something unusual, and the media got a hold of it. Right. So that must have added a little bit of comfort to you to know that, yeah, you actually did see what you thought you saw. Yeah, kind of. (laughs) <laughs> you know, almost like a double negative there. You know, yeah. it's like okay, it's a mixed I blessing. Did, you know, I'm not seeing things, but man, what did I see? Right, right. And what's the implication of what you saw, uh, Chad? Where does orbducted come from? Well, it uh, comes from our experience uh, that we had later on, uh, right after our experience uh, there in Hammond, Louisiana. Uh, we decided to move on into the French Quarter. We had uh, been spending a little time there on the weekends and stuff. So we decided to go to uh, New Orleans, and uh, we moved there. And our first apartment was above the Voodoo Temple, a very crazy, haunted, spiritual place there. Uh, But then in 97, or a couple years later, is when we had our night of missing time, and that's when the orbduction uh, comes in. Uh, we, um, I- I'll kind of let Alta uh, go into that. Okay.
Okay, so the night of missing time, was that the next major experience you had after encountering that UFO? He handed this off to me. When we lived above that voodoo temple for about a a year's period, or less than a year, we experienced all, it was as if whatever anomalous was happening could happen, seemed to happen to us. And it, it feels to me just, almost like we were being primed or prepared. And so when I say all types of anomalous, everything from um, time slips to ghosts to uh, poltergeists to whatever all the titles are, we seem to be experiencing in this apartment. I'd like to mention also that apartment, we lived there in 95, 10 years later, a young couple moved into that apartment that has made the apartment very infamous now. And you may be aware of this case. It's the Zach and Addie story. And Zach and Addie were a young couple that lived in our apartment. He ultimately killed her in that apartment, left her in the apartment for 12 days while he went on some kind of a, you know, a binge, as Chad's saying. And then, uh, Ultimately, he committed suicide jumping off of a hotel wow. in the middle of the quarter and, and then uh, directed detectives, police, to our apartment. And when they got there, um, part of her was on the stove cooking, part of her was in the oven, part of her was in the refrigerator. Wow. Uh, right. And absolutely. And I just would like to mention, you know, the time that Chad and I spent in that apartment, it was pretty crazy, to say the least. We were very naive. We had no idea what we had walked into, but we didn't experience, neither one of us experienced evil uh, in that regard. Nothing evil like this. It was more trickstery. It felt playful, um, kind of, you know, maybe even, again, I feel trying to prepare us. So... The Zach and Addie story, that became infamous. A, a man came out of New York City, moved here apparently, wrote a large book about it. It's called Shake the Devil Off or Shake Off the Devil is the title of it for anybody who's interested in this story. We moved from there, and this is now 1997. Uh, I'm about to turn 40. My mom is has left Louisiana years prior, gone back to Arkansas. Because of her poor health, she decided, um, we decided to move her to the quarter, and and we pre-rented her a a mother-in-law cottage in our courtyard where we were living. We lived in a very beautiful townhouse at the time with the balconies, the kind of things you see when you see tourism on television about the quarter. So anyhow... My mom is coming for my birthday, kind of as a surprise, and also to help get her relocated. Well, on that day, she passed. Literally, my crazy life, my mom died on that day. And she didn't have an opportunity to come. Well, she had been here visiting prior, and so folks knew her uh, somewhat in the quarter, and they knew about how much pain I was in over her death and Chad's. So one day, one evening, this young woman that worked in the shop that I worked in asked me if I wanted to go out and have dinner and drink to try to help cheer me up 
Now, this was about three months later. Now, my birthday, I just had my birthday. It's in May. And so three months later, we're now in September of 97. Chad and I, I tell her, let's call Chad, her name, we call her Christine in the book. At that time, she's 24. She's single, never married, no children, tall, slender, long blonde hair, very pretty, and uh, no drama queen. Uh, I tell her, let's call Chad and have him come join us. I know he'll want to. So we only lived a couple blocks from the shop at the time that I worked in. So he comes and joins us. At this time now, it's about 9.30 when we step out of the shop. She locks the door. Our intention is not to have any plans. It's going to be spontaneous. All we're intending to do is just try to have a party and try to celebrate something. So when we step out of the shop, I remember making note of it and saying it out loud, something to the effect of how, how the energy was off. It felt strange to me kind of that kind of language. They both agreed with me, and we went on our merry way. We started off, the intention was to start on the famous Bourbon Street. I don't know if you've ever been to New Orleans or the French Quarter, but it's about 13 blocks square, so we're going to just start on one end and work our way across. We start off on one end of Bourbon Street. We're going to stop at a location, our first spot, it's a place that Chad had worked in. He'd been in the restaurant business uh, earlier when we had moved there. So he had worked in some of these places on Bourbon Street, uh, restaurants and bars. We're going to go to our first place. is going to be a place he worked at. So we knew everybody. We knew the owner. We knew management and so on. And so when we get to this place, this is a very large place. Go ahead, Chad. You share yeah, you know, it had that bar, the restaurant, and the disco upstairs, you know, but there was nobody there. You know, we knew the band, we knew, you know, the people that worked there, and there was only one person there. And, again, you know, there there was nobody out on the streets, you know, and... There were a few stragglers, but the, it, 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 it was like being, almost from the beginning, like being in the twilight zone, and that's a very hard thing to describe to people. There were no people. Hmm. And, and as Chad was just saying, you know, this very large place, there were no people but one person. We stayed long enough to be friendly and really nothing, not even thinking high strangeness, not thinking anything other than where is everybody? So we're just going to get on our way. We leave there. And ultimately, we stop at two or three more spots across the across those 13 blocks, we're getting the same story everywhere we go. There is one, what appears to be one human, one person in each place. We don't even stop and get drinks. We just keep walking. Right. There's no patrons. There's no wait staff. There's no anybody. Hmm. And as Chuck said, no alcohol, no drugs, nor did it appear anybody around to drug us. So we end up are 13 blocks across the quarter. At this stage of the story, the very last place that we know is going to be our go-to, it's where the locals all go. It's also tourism, but primarily locals, and it's always a good time. And it's just a big dive called Checkpoint Charlie. So we, we 
walk across the street and head over to it, and all of a sudden, this dive has got a dormant for the first time that we'd ever known of. didn't have a dormant. It was a dive. had no need for a dormant. Well, the doorman happened to be, looked like he was around the same age as our friend. He was adorable. Looked like a blonde surfer boy. It was almost, it was strange. I remember taking note of it. So as this was going on, Alta, as this was happening, as you were making your way from one end to the other and you were noticing these things, I mean, at the time, did it strike you how bizarre all that was? More irritating. For me, and also I was grieving still very deeply over the loss of my mom. Mm -hmm. So I'm in that weird mindset anyhow, and just trying maybe almost too hard mentally to try to have a good time, trying to pull myself out of that darkness that I was in. And so... Yeah, and by this time, she's like, you know, out just telling me, you know, I'm over it. You know, I just want to go home. I just want to go home. Kind of like Dorothy at Oz, yeah, literally. Like, My last words to Chad are, I'm just I'm just so tired, Chad. I just want to go home now. And that's the last thing. And that, that's only been a, like an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it's 11. It's 9.30 to 11. And uh, we're on a street corner. I'm sitting on a... I've gone over to a stoop. I'm sitting down on that stoop. Chad has walked over there with me. We've left our friend, Christine, and the doorman looking like they're having a nice visit. That's making me happy at least to see that. And then ultimately, that's the last thing the three of us collectively remember is around 11 o'clock on that corner. And then the next thing I know, it's the next day, the next morning, somewhere between 8 and 9 in the morning. And I don't wake up. I come to sitting up in my living room, Indian style, on my day bed. And I'm rubbing my arms, and I feel something up in my upper arm as I'm rubbing my arms. I'm beyond shock. I'm the only one that would seem out of the three of us that have memory of in-between. I have no memory of coming off the street. I have no memory of being returned home. But I have a full-blown memory of what we call the in-between. Chad had no memory. Our friend, if I might, we love your questions. We love you guiding us. Uh, our friend, her account is remembering 11 on the corner with us, just like we described to you. But the next thing she knows is somewhere between 3 and 4 the next morning, and she's behind the steering wheel of her moving car. Wow. It's moving slowly. It hit a parked car and knocked off her rearview mirror, and this is what jolted her, too. It's in another part of the city from where she parked the car earlier that day. Now, several years later, Chad has had regression, and Chad has, you know, a full account, at at least his understanding and his take and his belief about that night, and that's where the word abduction comes from. A long answer to your question. I'm so sorry. (laughs) No, that's okay. Um, So was the... the, uh regression, was that a hypnosis-type um, process that brought this information out and, and, and helped you remember what had happened? Yes, yes. And in my regression, you know, we're all, uh, our friend had uh, joined us back at that stoop kind of mid-block, and I see this bright light coming from around the corner. I get the girl's attention, 
we walk around the corner and there's this orb in the sky or in a kind of about 15 foot off the ground, Mm -hmm. uh, about half a block down the street. It's about 12 foot in diameter, this orb, you know, and it's this bright, white, clean light. And, you know, it sits there for a few seconds and then just comes out and just takes us in. It uh, engulfs us. It orbducts us. Okay. And that's where the name of the, the book comes from. So um, we're going to run out of time here before we run, before we run out of topic. Um, you were uh, orbducted by this orb. Uh, do you remember? First of all, do we know what it was? Do we know who was responsible? Do we know what happened when you were there? Uh, well, we all had uh, different experiences, but in my experience, I did encounter, I do believe I was on a craft out in space somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did see this little blue being that was just awesome. He was looked like a little gray, but he was just, just beautiful blue color, and his his appearance, his um, his aura was that of like a professor slash shaman, scientist, uh, healer, ancient knowledge. Uh, you know, again, a lot to the story, but, uh, you know, it seems that I went somewhere. You know, and in Chad's account, he experienced at least three, maybe, maybe four, up to five different types of beings. Or aliens. Or in that in that one experience? In his one yes. experience on that craft. In my experience, I we're all three having very separate experiences. But in my experience, I'm not involved in Chad's at all. And and in my memory, he and my friend, our friend are not in my experience at all. But I'm with a female that the world now calls Nordic. I don't, but again, I'm not argumentative. It's just not my language. Right. That is this most, there's no words to describe her beauty. Uh, tall, over six foot tall, perfect. Whatever perfect is in your mind, she was a form of perfection with long blonde hair and uh, dealt with me telepathically. Now, she was not in Chad's account. In all of his experience and all those beings, she was not one of them. And so... Do you believe you were on uh, the same craft? I wasn't on a craft. You I weren't was on a craft. standing on the edge of a crater. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. Wow. Very um, different. So is, is all of this detailed in the book? Uh, most yes. of the book, the book has been edited down to about 70 pages. It's a very small book. We've mm-hmm. heard that it's that it's, you know, well done in that regard as far as information. But most of our story has been edited out with the exception of that corner, that that night. Right. So, the night of missing time. And the night of missing time. Well, we're going to have to, yeah, we're going to have to have you back on to talk a little bit more about this because we're just simply out of time. Where can people get a hold of the book? Uh, well, you can contact us on uh, Facebook uh, or Abducted in the French Quarter. And we also sell it on Etsy. I'm sorry, you said Etsy? 
Etsy. Yep. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm sorry that we didn't have more time, but we will get you back on and we'll continue talking about this and get more information because you've had so many more experiences. Uh, we're going to need a right. lot more time to talk about them. But anyway, Chad and Alta, thank you so much for being here tonight. Hey, you know, thank you so much for the opportunity. We, we really enjoy uh, sharing our experiences. It's an honor, and we thank you all. You know, uh, Orion, we're, we've got some. I've got some really good news, actually. Um, I just got an email here. I know you and I have been talking about guests and stuff like this, and I'm not sure if this is uh, something we're going to want to pursue, but I got a, uh, an email here from the Central Bank of Nigeria, <laughs> and it says it officially informs me that my uh, email is shortlisted by the Central Bank Compensation Award Committee. It's set up to compensate huge victims of huge losses from Internet scams and fraud mm-hmm. um and they, they have a payment ready for me of 8.3 million dollars so if you want to jump on that we can uh, wow yeah. now is that from uh, royalty a prince or something this one isn't a prince this is this is this is something this is something legitimate i think um i'd hold out for, <laughs> for a prince armstrong michael is the diplomat who's dealing with this they want a whole bunch of information so why don't you get working on that the other thing i want to say is that i had uh made a post on facebook on my uh, jv johnson uh, Facebook page, which I need to clarify because I had said, uh, we only have a few seconds here, but I said, um, it feels odd wishing someone a happy Memorial Day, but I will say, I hope you enjoy this day of reflection with Depends and family. So I didn't mean to say Depends. I really meant to say friends. So if you happen to see that, uh, please take it for what it, what it was intended, not from what I said. Thanks for being here, everybody. Uh, have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow. Beyond Reality Radio is hosted by Jason Hawes and J.V. Johnson and produced by Alexandria Johnson and Slick Eddie Edwards for Intercom Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is distributed by Westwood One Radio Networks. Stop by our Facebook page and say hello. Follow the hosts on Facebook as well. For Jason Hawes, follow at JasonHawes.Taps. For J.V. Johnson, follow at JVJParanormal. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Radio or you have a suggestion for a guest, contact Slick Eddie Edwards at SlickEddieEdwards at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our chat room as well at beyondrealityradio.com. Thanks for listening.